0: The greatest trick, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he did not exist. Line seems like it could come straight from C.S. Lewis, doesn't it? It doesn't, though. It's originally from a 19th century uh, French story, but it it features prominently in one of my favorite movies from 1995, The Usual Suspects. It's a great movie. It's a um, crime movie. Uh, go see it if you can. Uh, but but the, essentially, the police are looking for a criminal mastermind. He's a Turkish man named Kaiser Soze. He's achieved almost mythological status. No one knows him. No one ever works directly for him. Everybody works for someone who works for someone who works for the Kaiser Soze. A mythological figure, almost like a ghost. And many believe he doesn't even exist. And it is this disguise, the disguise of invisibility, this background role that allows Soze to walk away a free man, To continue a life of crime. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he did not exist. Our passage from Mark's gospel this morning directly challenges this non-belief in Satan. We see in this story that Satan and his minions are all too real and all too powerful and if we, are on, if we are not honest about this reality, the reality of Satan, the reality of the evil one and the power he has, it is actually quite dangerous. And so the great evangelical bishop J.C. Ryle says this, upon the subject of the devil and his power, we are far more likely to believe too little than we are to believe too much. Unbelief about the existence and personality of Satan has often provided the first step to unbelief about God himself. What we're going to see in this passage is that Satan is indeed real. Satan is cruel. Satan is powerful. And praise God, Satan is defeated. So if you have your Bibles, please open them up. We are in Mark chapter 5. I say this all the time, but I do like it when you follow along. Um, One, it it allows you to open up and to see the Word of God. And and two, it's proof that I'm not making things up. Because this is a weird story, right? This is strange. This story is located in the middle of a trifecta of stories in Mark's gospel. And, And all three of these are demonstrating the authority of Jesus. Right before this, we have Jesus on a boat with his disciples and a, a storm comes up and, and Jesus says to the wind and to the waves, peace be still. And he demonstrates his authority over creation. Right after this story, we have Jesus walking through the crowds and he, he heals a sick woman merely by her touching his robes and, and he does this on the way to raising a little girl from the dead, demonstrating his power over Sickness and even over death itself. And in this story, right here in the middle that we've read today, we see Jesus demonstrating his power over the spiritual forces of Satan, driving out this demon from a man who's living among the tombs. And so we pick up our story here in Mark chapter 5, verse 1, with Jesus and his disciples coming to shore on the other side of the Sea of Galilee in the area of the Gerasenes. I, I should pronounce that right. Gerasenes. This is Gentile territory. This is not Jewish territory. Um, we have pigs, for once. That would give us clues. that this is, this is a place that would be considered unclean. All the more so because it's in the middle of the tombs. And here we have in this unclean area, this man with a demon possession. An unclean demon, it says. And so pigs, tombs, and demons, this man is about as unclean as he could possibly be. Why Jesus came to this particular area, we don't know. But when he does, he is greeted immediately by this man. This man has been living here among the tombs. In this remote area of the Sea of Galilee, he's been cast out of his community because this possession is so strong. He cannot be tied down even with chains because he breaks the chains. He cannot be subdued by anyone in the village. And so instead, he's cast out, he's exiled to this desolate place. Here, he's fated to live out his days among the dead, naked, alone, and cutting himself with rocks. It's a terrifying profile. And so when Jesus arrives, perhaps he sees a glimmer of hope. He runs to greet our Lord right at the very edge of the sea. But as he falls down to Jesus' feet, it's quite clear who is in charge. It's the demons themselves. And so there in verse 7, he lays down at the Jesus' feet before him, and he cries out with a loud voice, and he says, "'What have you to do with me, Jesus?' son of the most high god i adjure you by god do not torment me now this is pretty interesting there's something about mark's gospel you need to know mark has given us as his readers a privileged status if you will Um, In chapter 1, verse 1, there's an editorial comment that that Mark is writing the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. He lays it on the line. This is who Jesus is. It's a big banner for his readers to see. But the people in the story don't know that, right? The disciples are maybe even the most confused. Confused. We just got done after Jesus calms the storm. They're they're afraid. There's a a fear, maybe a holy fear, but also certainly a trembling fear. And they wonder who is this man? The Pharisees, rather than recognizing their Messiah, see a threat to their power, and they're plotting to kill him. The crowds, they love Jesus' teaching, but they're going to want nothing to do with Jesus, the suffering Messiah. Only one group of people in Mark's gospel actually recognize Jesus. And it's the demons. It's the demons. So in Mark chapter 3, verse 11, he writes this. Whenever the unclean spirits saw Jesus, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And so it is with the man in this story. Do not torment me, Jesus, Son of God. Because Jesus will have nothing to do with this demon. He steps ashore and he's ashore, and he is immediately trying to cast him out, get out of this man, leave him alone, get away from him." And the demon is responding, "Do not torment me, leave me alone, please, Jesus. Don't cast me out of this country." And Jesus says, "Well, what's your name?" And the demon responds, "My name is Legion. For we are many. Now, a legion was a a regiment of about 6,000 Roman soldiers. This man is possessed by many demons. And Jesus and the man see a herd of pigs, right? The man says, Jesus, or the demon says, Jesus, let me go into those pigs. And Jesus obliges, and he sends the demon into the pigs. And about 2,000 pigs immediately flee, and they head off the cliff, and they perish in the Sea of Galilee. The story closes with this man asking to go with Jesus. Jesus, can I go with you? And Jesus says, no, I have another mission for you. And he he sends them off into his hometown, and he says, tell the world the things that the Lord has done for you. And the man goes, and he tells the town about Jesus. Jesus. And the town marvels at this man who has power even over the demons. There's a lot of directions we can go with this passage. And we, we can't, don't have time to do all of them. But, but, but many of these themes will come up throughout Mark's gospel. And so what I want us to consider is the reality of Satan that we see in this passage. And his influence in this world. And then secondly, and and even most importantly, I want us to consider the power that Jesus has over Satan and his ability to set us free from sin and from death and from, yes, even the devil. It seems like to me that when it comes to Satan, that this is typically a topic we would rather avoid. Either it's too weird or too scary or simply too difficult to actually believe. I mean, think about it. When you consider the, the caricatures we have of Satan, we think often, right, of what? A little red devil with, with horns and a pitchfork and, and a forked tail. And when we, when we paint a picture like that, it's easy to dismiss or mythologize. Now, yes, we give lip service to the reality of the evil one week in and week out on Sunday mornings. But I believe we often fail to actually consider the very real and the very powerful influence that Satan can have in the day-to-day realities of life. In many ways, it's easier to believe he doesn't exist or to allegorize him away. And friends, Satan is pleased as pie that we would do this. So let's take a moment then to acknowledge the cruelty and power of Satan. Friends, he is cruel. That he would inflict such torment on this man, that he would isolate him among the tombs, that he would leave him crying out day and night, naked, cutting himself with stones. Listen to me, let there be no doubt, Satan would have that same fate for every single person in this room. He would love to see each of us in the same state as this man. He will do everything in his power to achieve it. Now, to be clear, such a fate is hardly tempting at all, right? Satan walked into the room and said, hey, come with me. Let's live among the tombs. Let's be crying out and cutting ourselves with stones. There's not too many people who would take him up on that offer. No, the promise, the, the 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 challenging thing about Satan is he's way more subtle than that. The promise of Satan, the promise of sin, it's always good and pleasing, isn't it? It's the promise of something better, the good life. If we only went down this path or succumbed to this um, temptation, if we only went in this direction, things would be so much better for us, wouldn't they? That's what it was for Adam and Eve, right? Just eat the fruit. It's delicious. And you get to be like God. And the fruit was delicious, right? But it led to what? Isolation and destruction. The fruit of Satan is going to be delicious and tempting and it will always lead to isolation and destruction. What temptations has Satan placed in your path? What is there? You, you know it. I don't need to name it or point them out to you. I'm not gonna do that. But you know where you're tempted, you know where you're drawn, these these things that are promising a good life, whether it's you know, status and success or Or money, we we make these things ultimate things. Lust, alcohol. Some of these things aren't actually bad things. Some of them can be good things. But the trick that Satan pulls is when we make them ultimate things, when they make them um, escape from this world, and then he grabs us, right? And he reels us in and he isolates us. And he slowly destroys us. The power of Satan is subtle, but it is all too real. And that does lead us to the second point. Satan is powerful, friends. There is a legion of demons in this man. He has superhuman strength. He's powerful. We cannot fight this on our own accord. The fact of the matter is the world is divided into two camps. There is no neutral ground. There are those who are claimed for Christ and there are those who are claimed for Satan. And if we have not claimed the authority and power of Jesus, then we are under the dominion and power of Satan himself. And we cannot fight it. You can't muster up strength within yourself. He's powerful. But thankfully... That's not the end of the story, is it? A cruel and powerful Satan has been defeated by the King Jesus. The promise of the gospel, the good news of Jesus is that he is far more powerful than Satan. It's not even close. And so we have Jesus here casting out demons, showing authority over them, authority over Satan. That those who are in Christ share in this defeat of the evil one. But here's the great paradox of the gospel. That the one who would cast the demon out of this man, Jesus, who would cast the demon out of the suffering man, will end his life in the same state. Jesus will end his life naked, isolated, among the dead his body bleeding from the cuts of stone and glass and nails. It's Jesus submitting to the punishment that we deserve so that we can be freed from the power of Satan and sin in our lives. In taking on death, the death that sinful men and women like us deserve, Jesus has defeated the prince of death, once and for all. And this crucified and resurrected Jesus now sits at the right hand of God. And he has power and dominion and authority over all things. And so when we look out into this world, yes, we still see evil and we still see the presence of Satan. But he doesn't have free reign. Jesus has bound him and as he collects his people We can rest in the hope that one day Satan will be defeated once and for all. We see that in the book of Revelation. When Satan himself is cast into the sea. Cast down into the depths just like this demon, Legion. Defeated once and for all. And so as we wait for that kingdom where there is no more sin and no more death and no more Satan... We cry out to Jesus. You know these words. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, right? Do you know what a more precise translation is? Deliver us from the evil one. Friends, let this be our prayer that we would go forth from here proclaiming the power of Jesus over even Satan and evil themselves, and that we would ask that we be delivered from this fate, that we might bear witness to the risen Christ and win people for him, win people to his gospel, that we might share in his eternal kingdom. Let us pray.